find Psalm 48. And as you do that, uh, before we read it together, I want to ask you to imagine that you and your family lived in Jerusalem in the year 586 B.C. This is the year that uh, the Babylonians came and conquered Judah and crushed Jerusalem. And they took thousands of Jews 880 miles east to Babylon. And I want you to imagine that you are one of those captives and set this scene in your mind that you watched the walls of Jerusalem break away like a a seawall in a tsunami. You saw wave upon wave of ruthless Babylonian warriors pour into Jerusalem and destroy it and level it and burn it. And then they took you and your family away. And now here you are trying to sleep on the cold, hard ground of your captivity. And you have in your mind flashes of fire, the clash of weapons, blood, tears, cries. And it brings tears to your face. The tears like those prompted the Hebrews to write another psalm, Psalm 137. And listen to what they said. They said, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, their city. Our captors required songs from us saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. A mocking voice. Come on, sing us some of your songs about Zion. Come on. And they said in Psalm 137, How, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Their captors laughed, your captors, as you put yourself in their place. Your captors laughed because they know they've just made everything that you sing and believe about Zion a joke. You and your city and your God are a joke to them. And maybe they're right, after all. What you last saw in Jerusalem does not fit the vision of Psalm 48. So I want us to stand together and we're going to all read together Psalm 48. And uh, so go ahead and stand. And as we do, I I want you to feel the dissonance between what we are going to say what they sang and what they saw, their last vision of Jerusalem. Now hear the word of the God who loves you. Let's read it together. Psalm 48, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised 
in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic, they took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, would you uh, bless this, the reading of your word, and bless now the preaching of your word. Help us to hear from your spirit what you want us as your church to hear. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Did you feel, did you feel that dissonance? You know, dissonance, I guess, one of you, you know, Nathan will have to help me out with this. Dissonance is that clash between uh, chords that just don't fit together, sounds that just don't mesh. There's a dissonance between this song and what they saw. How can they sing about the city of God what they no longer see in the city of God? How can they do that? Through their tears of sorrow and loss, the people of God sang of the beauty of Jerusalem, the city of their God. Look at verse 2. She is beautiful in elevation, they say. How can they sing of the beauty of Jerusalem when there's so much ugliness in her now? Also in verse 2, that with, with sadness, they sang that Mount Zion, the city of their great king, is the joy of all the earth. How can they sing and say that Mount Zion is the joy of all the earth when right now she seems to be the laughingstock of all the earth? And then you'll notice that in verses 3 through 8, they, they lifted their voices to praise the safety of God's city. Her fortified citadels form God's own fortress. The people inside the city are safe from trouble while the enemies outside the city tremble because they're about to be shattered. How can they sing the praise of Jerusalem for her strength when her weakness is so obvious? Those enemies didn't tremble. They weren't shattered. They did the shattering and the people of God did the trembling. How can they glory in her safety when so many men and women and children have been wounded within her walls 
and abandoned to the abuse of evil men. How can they sing that? And then look at the lyrics of verses 9 and 10. We, we have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. O God, your praise and the fame of your name reaches to the end of the earth. Why? Because out of the overflow of your great heart of steadfast love, you've made a way for unrighteous people to be in relationship with the righteous God through the sacrifice of shed blood that covers every sin that stands between you and the ones you love. The song is saying that if you want to hear the heartbeat of God's steadfast love for sinners, put your ear to the wall of the temple and listen to the cries of the lamb that is sacrificed. But how can they sing? about Jerusalem as the place where God's love is most clearly known when the temple has been destroyed, when there are no longer sacrifices that help reconcile God and sinners. How can they sing that? How can they sing about the city of God what they no longer see in the city of God? Many are asking the same thing about the church today. How can we sing about God's church what we do not see in God's church? And now, you may say, now wait a minute, wait a minute, preacher. Uh, This psalm isn't about the church, it's about Jerusalem. But remember that on this side of the crucifixion and the resurrection, we the church, are the city of God. We are Zion. We are the temple. We've read these verses this morning already, but I want to remind you, Hebrews 12 tells us, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood. Friends, we are Mount Zion. Whenever we gather as God's people, we gather as his great city in the presence of all the saints who have gone before and the angels who sing praise to God. We are the city of God. We saw... In Revelation 21, the invitation, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel. Friends, we are the new Jerusalem. We are the holy city of God because of Jesus and Paul tells us, do you not know that you, are the, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? We are his temple. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. And so the question is legitimate because Psalm 48 for us is a song not about Jerusalem, but about the church. 
The question is legitimate. How can we sing about God's church what we do not see in God's church? Now, some of you will say, my experience in the church has been wonderful. So, so Psalm 48 matches my experience in the church. My experience in the church has been, the church is a place of beauty. It's been a joy to me. It's been a place where I have found safety. It's been a, the place where I have heard the heartbeat of God's love for me as a sinner and a sufferer. And if that's true in your experience, and it's true in a lot of mine, praise God. Praise God. I pray that every child and grandchild in this church will grow up with that experience because they've worshiped and served and lived among us. But there are many of us, many of us, including me, who have had a different experience, or at least an additional experience, in the church. Some of us would say that in God's church, I've seen more ugliness than beauty. Some of us would say, I can understand why we're not the joy of all the earth, but the laughingstock of all the earth. I can understand that. Some of us could say, I have not found the church a safe place. I've been wounded within her walls. I've been abandoned by her people even abused. And some could say, I have found the church not to be a place where I've experienced God's love for sinners and sufferers. I've learned to hide my brokenness because I didn't think I would be accepted if I admitted how broken I really am. grieves us to think that this is how some of us and some of our neighbors have experienced the church of the living God. And so I feel with you this dissonance between what we sing about her and what we see in her. But stay with me. Because I want to remind us that the reason God allowed his city to be destroyed in 586 B.C. and the reason he allowed his people to be carried off into captivity for 70 years is precisely because of this. This comes from um, 2 Chronicles. Because the king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before the prophet Jeremiah, who spoke from the mouth of God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people, so it's not just the king, and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made, on, made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers 
because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising God's words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people. And here are the scary words, until there was no remedy. The people of God were filling the city of God with ugliness, not beauty. The people of God didn't make the safe the city safe for the poor and the needy, the orphan and the widow, the least and the last. The people made it unsafe. And in their relationships with one another, the people of God were not spreading the fragrance of sacrificial love that they smelled every day wafting from the temple courtyards. The people made it an unloving city. And this is scary because in verse 14, the sons of Korah say, look, next generation, look at this city. This is our God. This city is supposed to show us what God is like. And they're not. And friends, I have to confess to you this morning, I have contributed to the ugliness of the church. I have helped make the church a laughing stock in the earth and not a joy. I have not always made the church a place of welcome and safety for the weak and the wounded. I have not spread the fragrance of this bread and cup in the relationships I've had with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't just say these because it sounds cool for the, pre- the preacher to say it. I mean it. And if you want to buy me coffee, I'll tell you exactly how I've done these things. We'll sit and we'll talk. But my guess is you have done these things too. You've made your own con- contributions. So can we admit that at least some of the blame for the disappointment in the church that our neighbors and the nations and the next generation have should be laid at our feet. And as a fellow sinner, I ask you with all the gentleness and love and grace that I can muster, have you contributed to what is ugly and unsafe and unloving in this church? Just sit with that for a second. Take a moment and confess. Lord Jesus, I've contributed to what is ugly and unloving and unsafe about this church. Here's how. If you haven't praised God for his grace in your life, But if you have, by the authority vested in me because I've been called to preach the gospel of Christ, by the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, those of you who trust him, Jesus was exiled for you. You will never be separated from God for your contribution to the ugliness 
and unsafety and unloving relationships of your church. Thanks be to God. So the question remains, how can we sing when we're in such bad shape? How can we sing when we're so far from what God wants to see in his church? Because we still are a long way from there. Here's how. We sing by faith and we sing with hope. First, we sing of the glory of the church by faith, not by sight. Psalm 48 tells us that there is Something more than can be seen with the eyes that made Jerusalem beautiful, safe, and full of love. And there are hints to it throughout the psalm, and this is it. The city is great, not because because of the city, but because God is there. The city is great because God lives there. The city is great because God is Lord there. The city is great because God loves there. He loves them. God lives there. Verses 1 and 2, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. It's his holy mountain. It's his throne room. It's the city of the great king. He lives there. That's why it's so great. The city is great because God is Lord there. It's the city, verse 8 says, of the Lord of hosts. Hosts are the angel armies. God will establish his city forever because he is Lord there. And no army can defeat him. And the city is great because God's love for sinners and suffering and sufferers is there. Because God loves them. That's why the city is great. Verse 9, we thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. There in that temple of God... Out of his amazing love and grace, he provided a way for these unholy people to live in relationship with the holy God. The only reason the city is great is because God loves it. And if all that was true for that Jerusalem and those people in that place and that day, then how much more is it true for the new Jerusalem, for the bride of Jesus Christ, whom he bought with his blood And how much more true then is it for us, Mountain Fellowship? It's true for this church in this place on this day. Because Jesus lives in his church. Jesus lives in us and he promised that he would. He said he would ask the Father to send another helper, his spirit, Jesus' own spirit. And he said he will, that you'll know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. We can sing by faith what we may not see, but is true. Jesus lives in us by his spirit. And we can sing by faith what we may not see, but is true that he is the Lord of this church. Paul said, God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Even when we don't see it, we can sing by faith that Jesus has been given as head over all things to us. Jesus is Lord in his church, 
And Jesus loves his church. Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. That means make, make her holy, holify her, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. The church is great because Jesus loves her, not because you or your neighbor does. Um, our beloved pastor friend, Joe Novenson, is famous for saying, um, the church is a whore. Read Hosea. God says it. The church is a whore. But she's the bride of Jesus. And if he loves her, so should we. The church is great, not because of what you see, but because of the love of Jesus for her. And so because of Jesus, we can sing about his church by faith, but because of Jesus, we can also sing of the glory of the church with hope. Why? Why, why is there hope for the church? Because as we just read it, Christ loved her and gave himself up for her, and he's working to present her to himself in splendor. He's at work in her. And we read this morning how Revelation describes the splendor that Jesus will present to himself in us. He showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance was like a rare jewel. That's, what we're, that's where we're headed. And so, to Jesus and in Jesus, we're already all that Psalm 48 says about the church. We're already beautiful. We're already a joy. We're already safe, and we're already loved and loving. Even though we're not yet what Revelation 21 says about us. Several years ago, I visited another church in the presbytery I was serving for a meeting, and I noticed this sign on uh, the door of the sanctuary, and the sign said, uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church, excuse the mess while renovations are underway. <laughs> See, there was already a church building there, already a sanctuary but it was not yet the church building or sanctuary that it would be. Renovations were underway. And friends, because we, the church, are in Jesus and Jesus is in us, we're already a beautiful sanctuary. We're already a beautiful church. We're already a joy to our neighbors and the nations and the next generation. The church is that. This church is that. And because Jesus is making us wounded healers who look like him, our church can already be a safe place for sinners and sufferers. And it has been, and it is, and it will be because of Jesus. And because the good news about Jesus is preached here, 
and the table of his sacrificial love is presented to us here, this church already is a place where the heartbeat of God's love can be heard. And yet, renovations are underway in us. And just because we don't yet look exactly like the blueprint that Jesus has in mind in Revelation 21, it doesn't mean he's not in the process of making us that church. And renovations are messy. Excuse the mess. Renovations are underway. We ought to put that sign on the door of Mountain Fellowship. And I'm not talking, we don't have a door. This is Bachman's door. I'm talking about the door of us. We're the real Mountain Fellowship, the people. We should put that sign, excuse the mess, renovations are on the way, are underway. We should put it on us. Because we're a mess. And we mess up. And the reason our congregation is a mess is because each and every one of us is a mess, including and especially your pastor. I am a mess. You are a mess. You are a mess. You are a mess. But guess what? We're his mess. We are broken but beloved of God. In Mountain Fellowship, we can pray for revival for our church. We can pray for God to revive us because he's promised that he's renovating us. Because he has a plan and he's working it out. We can pray with confidence because he will do what we're asking him to do. Revive us, Lord. Give us life. And because of Jesus we can participate in the renovation. Because Jesus is at work in each of us individually by his spirit, by his gospel. We can participate in making Mountain Fellowship beautiful in the way of holiness. We don't have a building, so we're we're the beautiful part. Because of his spirit at work in us, We can participate in making Mountain Fellowship beautiful. We can participate in making Mountain Fellowship a joy on Signal Mountain. We can participate in making Mountain Fellowship a safe place for sinners and sufferers. Because of Jesus in us, we can make Mountain Fellowship a place where people smell the fragrance of the sacrificial love of Jesus and come and eat. So for every one look at our mess, let's take 10 looks at Jesus and have faith that he who began a good work in us will complete it and have hope that one day we will look just like that glorious and radiant city that the blueprint of Revelation describes. God can do this. Lord Jesus, um, forgive us. Forgive us for the way that we have made your bride ugly 
a laughingstock, unsafe, and unloving. And we receive your forgiveness now as we receive this bread and cup. Because here, here, Jesus, you are the temple. You are ground zero for where we hear the heartbeat of your Father's love, your love, the Spirit's love for the broken mess of us. And here is where you do your work in us. Because we will love when we know and are convinced that you have first loved us. So help us, even now, as we come to this table, to hunger and thirst after all that God is for us in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.